0: reframe what pressure means to you okay a lot of people think pressure means there's a chance of failing good fail Collins failed many a times and he always gets better after the fact but people fear the failure so much they don't allow themselves to go for it and and embrace that this is what I signed up for
1: Hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols, and on today's episode, we continue. Yes, we continue the run of yet another great interview. Um, I mean, not that it's like I'm a good interviewer, but a a person that is a uh an awesome person to be interviewed. Uh today we have Dr. Rick Sessinghouse. He is notably Colin Morikawa's uh, mental coach, and he might even be his swing coach. I'm not totally sure. We didn't get into that. Um, but from the research I've done on him, it, it seems like that he's kind of just his coach. Um, don't quote me on that, but I do know that he is his, you know, psychologist, mental coach, uh, that role. So I thought that would be awesome for the mental golf show. So this is a, uh, I just, it's just a very rich, full interview. Um, we, we hit a lot of listener questions on this one, so if you if you asked a question, uh, or if you were the, one of the people that responded with a question, listen up, your question uh, might have got answered. I didn't get to all of them. There were so many for this one, I'm assuming just because it's like, hey, Colin Markawa, you know, one of the best players in the world right now, I want to ask a question for his coach. Um, and there's so many good questions, and of course, Rick nails some awesome answers. So, uh, listen up for those. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything to say. I just want to get right into this episode. Um, I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope you take some notes. I hope you really learn something from it. Uh, there's been some great interviews lately. So, uh, just, I would just want you to continue to try to learn. Um, and like I said, a couple episodes ago, I just want you to have something that, takes you down a better path you know you learn something something comes to you uh you know you were going to go down this one path but instead because you heard this you you headed down this better path towards improvement towards enjoying golf more towards reaching your goals towards achievement whatever it is listen up for that take notes really put these things to heart okay let's get right into this conversation with dr rick sessinghouse If we can just get started by you introducing yourself. I mean, I, you know, you're on the Claude Harmon podcast. So a lot of people discovered you there. Um, I think more people should know about you. So maybe you can introduce yourself, give yourself a history of kind of how you got here.
0: You got it. Uh, thanks so much for, for having me on the podcast. Um, yeah, I've had an interesting little career myself is that uh, I didn't play much uh, golf as a junior competitive wise. I walked down at a division one school here called Cal State Northridge in the Los Angeles area, was a mediocre D1 player, but got obsessed with golf and became a member of the PGA and started teaching golf 27 years ago. I love the swing concepts, everything to get uh, people uh, playing better golf. Unfortunately, as I learned pretty quickly, that just teaching golf swing didn't always equate into better scores. And not only with my own game, uh, I was a little bit of a hothead, um, but also with some of my students is I, I saw a disconnect. They looked good in on the range, they looked good in a lesson, and then they would come back a week or so later and they would shoot the same scores or worse. And and as a coach, I'm going, wow, I failed them. And so then I became more obsessed with the mental side of the game. I went back to school um, received a, uh, doctorate in applied sports psychology. I wrote a book called golf, the ultimate mind game about 15 years ago, and just started going more and more down that road and that expertise and, and just loved where it was going. And that led to more of my coaching shifts from teaching golf swing to a lot more golf on course, uh, course management routines. And then as I kept going on now throughout the years, uh, talking about, you know, performing under pressure and tournament preparation and practice plans and so on and so forth. So I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of really, really good juniors, a lot of good college players. And then a lot of people now know me, um, because I've been Colin Morikawa's swing and mental coach since he's eight years old. So that kind of gives you a a kind of a, where I've been. And, um, it's been an exciting journey uh, to say the least.
1: Yeah. And, um, I, I didn't know that about the uh, doctorate. You don't you don't make it very obvious that you are Doctor Rick Sussinghouse. It's <laughs> right. your uh, so that's that's important I think and and that leads me to ask you kind of like how you've improved yourself as a coach. Like yes, there's the trial and error, but it, is there like things you do to continue to learn and continue to get better as a coach?
0: Uh, definitely. And I think there are certain, just like in a golf swing, there are skills, but we also, there's these other intangibles. Um, and I think there's plenty of information out there now. If you wanted to be a swing coach or a mental coach, there's plenty of information that doesn't equate that you're going to be a good coach. And I believe coaching is about relationship building. It's, con- um, it's communication styles. Um, there's a lot of going that not many people address. Okay. So my undergrad was in speech communication. I've studied a lot of um, uh, communication models and coaching models. Um, Every year I sign up for some form of certification and some of it has nothing to do with golf, um, whether it's nutrition, whether it's all these types of things, because I want to be well-rounded because performance has many, many elements to it. But for those coaches out there that are listening, I feel that improving communication styles asking better questions, listening with more intention is going to help you more than sometimes having a, uh, a special technique that you're, that you're addressing.
1: Mm. I like the listening with more intention. A lot of people are quick to tell and slower to listen. That's super, that's super applicable. Um, so I mean, it's what you do now. You, you coach the mental side of the game. I mean, is it, Like, do you do you have any sense of like you should do mental training first and then pile everything on top? Is that like kind of is that where you're at or is it like "Mm, find your way? There's a different way for everybody. Do you like if you could write everyone's script is how would you do it?
0: Yeah, I uh, I, my master's thesis was kind of on that uh, question and how I answered it. And I don't think I would change it much, to be honest with you is if somebody was learning golf performance, let's just use as a general term. I think it is important to learn the fundamentals and the the technical skills first, honestly. You got to know what you're getting into. And that would be good fundamentals, learn how to grip the club, so on and so forth. As the skill sets go up and you increase those and improve, I then believe it becomes more mental. Because now somebody's experienced it, they'll have at least an environment to go, oh, that's how that would apply in that. But if I just started with mental, just that, I don't think people have enough feedback for me to know how I could make a difference. So I think once somebody um, has played enough um, and then I can talk about some of the mental type of of concepts the focus and confidence and emotions and stuff like that, it's much easier for them to answer the questions that I would want to pose. So as they get better, I believe it becomes more mental. Uh, certainly along the way, I'm introducing things, um, but I hope that answers
1: kind of the question. Mm, sure, sure does. Um, so do you like something that you have very um, it seems recent and you, and you mentioned it in your email to me about your kind of new academy i don't know how new sure. it is but um maybe you could go into that and explain that and um and i've got questions about it but maybe you could introduce that i, I want to kind of give the floor to you this is this is your thing yeah
0: no i appreciate it um so as i've i've been coaching for 27 years and part of a business model is you want to leverage your time and you want to leverage your your expertise and so this is um uh, been about 18 months in the making is something called uh, Flow Code Golf Academy, and people can reach it at uh, flowcode.golf. And it's an online community, online membership. Um, we're actually certifying coaches in it. Um, but it's, it's a passion of mine to be able to get this information out there to the masses. Um, and we have uh, a lot of videos and manuals and worksheets and stuff for people to create their own, what we call flow code, right? I'm a big believer that all of us have performed at a high level and we can tap into that and there's a code uh, and there's a framework and everybody can create their own flow code so very excited about that we launched it uh here in early 2022 um we have a our own podcast uh flow golf on um many many of the channels that we're just sharing that information in and very excited about where where that's going
1: mm. so Maybe, I mean, everyone probably at this point, especially listening to this podcast, knows what flow is, have heard of that, knows what the zone is. But maybe in your words, why name the academy after flow? Like, why is that important?
0: Yeah, I think when I was uh, back in school, master's and doctorate, they called it the zone. And uh, somebody's played in the zone. Why I use the word flow is because it's, that's the term that's actually researched in sports psychology. Uh, flow has a distinct um, brainwave activity, has distinct physiological characteristics, neurochemicals, all this type of stuff. So when you have those markers, it's something that can be actually researched and uh, measured and trained. Okay? The zone was just a very vague term. Oh, am I in the zone or not? So that's why I use that term. Um, and it does certain um, uh, the professor Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who is the godfather of flow, um, started this process about 40 years ago. And so I've learned a lot uh, through some of my other certifications, but it's it's a matter of each person has experienced flow. OK, and it's when we are performing our best and we're feeling our best. And there's certain things like full immersion in the present moment um challenge skills balance uh they they match to where we were challenged but we have the skills to match it um there's time change all that kind of stuff but to simplify it is we're at our best we're fully present in the moment and we believe we have the skills to match what's in front of us
1: so to to explode that out a little bit if one of the factors is being fully immersed in the present moment it, it begs the question of how, and you know, you could spill all the beans of the, of kind of your academy, but uh, if you could speak to it just briefly, at least, how does one get fully immersed into the present moment? If that's so important to be in a flow state,
0: right? So flow follows focus. What we pay attention to in, in the moment is going to trigger things in us. Um, I could be on a whole and I could look at the flagstick um, of a green that I made a par or excuse me, a birdie on the day before, and I could be excited. I could also maybe be on that same hole the next day where there's water and then get triggered by the visual of the water. My attention's on the water. For some, that triggers fear. And now my whole system has changed, right? So flow follows focus. Uh, focus in our attention can be trained. But in the moment, um, where my eyes go, my attention follows. So, I want everybody to know that where they gaze their eyes, attention is being put to that. I think from a physiological standpoint, I know a lot of people use breathing as a way to regulate their focus. If I'm just breathing and feeling the breath in through my nose, holding, exhale through my nose, at least for those six, seven seconds, I'm only focusing on breath. My favorite tool is using questions, uh, self talk and questions. For instance, if we talk about a pre shot routine, My first question is How will this lie of the ball affect the shot? Now, notice I didn't put a judgment on it, like, is this a good lie or a bad lie? Because that's irrelevant. But if I say, How is this lie going to affect the shot? somebody has to pay attention to it, observe it, analyze it, make a decision, and then go from there. So I'm very much into asking uh, relevant questions because I think if you pose the question correctly, it will keep people in the present moment. But being fully immersed is There is no fear being fully in the present moment, but if I am in the future, there potentially could be fear, anxiety, and worry, or there could be excitement. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to do this. Um, And that's not necessarily the state we want to be in. Okay. So that I use uh, certainly eyes, breathing, and then the one I use in real time the most is asking relevant questions.
1: Mm. So is this, I mean... I've been holding off to to immediately start talking about Colin because I mean sure. that's that's the that's kind of your um it's the thing that everyone knows you for, like you said, at this point. Um sure. whether or not that should be true, I don't know, but um it is.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a it's a nice thing to be known for. How about sure, that?
1: Sure, sure, sure. You're bigger than that, <laughs> but yes. Um is like since you've known him since he was eight and he's what now 20 twenty twenty five? 25. Okay. 25. Um, I mean, is, is this some, are these things that you have taught him over time or things you've used quote unquote used on him? It, it, is it, um, or it is, has he just kind of always been pretty easy to be in this space? Cause it looks like that to the outside observer. How, how would you say that? Yeah,
0: no, it's, it's a great question and I'll, I'll answer it two different ways. He has been the most coachable individual I've ever worked with. So he already brings to the table somebody who who listens, who's open to learning, who is curious, who's motivated, who has a great work ethic. So yes, that's happening. I believe I cultivated a lot of where he's at now through my coaching. And I'm always improving as a coach. Um, so when I met him when he was eight years old now, uh, 17 years ago, um, I was a good coach. I believe I'm better now. Uh, but of our golf lessons were done on a golf course. Uh, we get to now analyze all these lies. We get to put them in situations, we get to have them think for himself, problem solve, compete. We always competed during every session. So I was cultivating what I believed was going to help junior golfers, whether it was him or somebody else, to grow as a player. And um, so that's what we did. We always assessed all those tournaments. We um, and again, he was very open to that, had a great family system, but Yeah. We've done um, breathing. We've done visualization. We've done those things along the way, but I've been fortunate that I get to kind of just drip it in a little bit. Now when people want to work with me, they they want me to fire hose all the information to them and uh, instantaneously they'll be calling Murakawa in three months and that's not quite how it works.
1: No, it's not. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, not at all. So I, I mentioned you, I have a I have a bunch of listener questions and I mean, they could take up hours probably, but I, I do want to, um, obviously honor your time, but I want to honor the questions that people asked and I, I think they'll lead to some great conversation. Um, so we'll just kind of dive into them. Is that cool with you? Okay. You got it. So, um, I'll jump around them, but this one first from uh, a player named Emerson, uh, how does, back to Colin, a lot of these are about Colin, but how, how does Colin Great. stay so calm, but also, assumingly, he's still really competitive?
0: Uh, I think he's calm because he's competitive. I don't know if that makes sense, but he has an intention when he goes out to play. Um, he wants to win. He likes to win. Now, most people are going to fight back and say, Rick, that's about the outcome. And I'm going to go, fine he he prefers holding trophies at the end of the week just so everybody knows but he has a very intrinsic motivator inside of him which is uh, a lot about mastery he wants to be better today than he was yesterday he wants to push himself he wants to learn he wants now that is that's being curious about the present moment takes away fearing it and oh oh what if i screw up it's like that he doesn't have that dialogue that's occurring so he certainly has a personality that is more calming i get that but he goes in with it wanting to have fun and challenging himself and yes he wants to compete that's the juice behind it so then it just helps him be in the present moment and once you're in the present moment then there is no attachment um to what's going to happen so on and so forth so hopefully that answers that question
1: Mm. and you mentioned um Intrinsic motivation as opposed to extrinsic mo- motivation, being motivated by trophies, outcomes, whatever. He has that. Sure. Yes, but it's it's primarily intrinsic. How how do you instill intrinsic motivation or is it something you that's fixed and you can't improve it?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent believer that any skill can be learned. So if we talk motivation, it is a learned skill. It is a skill. Now. He has at an early age loved the game. He's loved the challenge, he's loved the creativity of it. Great. There's also part of him that wanted to be the best amateur in the world and now the best uh, professional in the world. Great. That helps drive motivation too. You have a clear goal ahead of you. When we look at motivation, you know, ask a very simple question to all your listeners is why do you play golf? And people go, "Huh. I don't know if I've ever asked or answered that before." And there may be many reasons. Oh, I play golf to be with friends. I play golf um, to challenge myself. I plan to play in a city tournament. I want to win. Being outside, being, um, you know, recreational. There's a ton of great reasons to play golf. I'm not labeling that extrinsic reasons are bad. I'm saying there needs to be a balance, especially when we talk about uh, emotional stability down the road of dealing with you've, you've just shot 90 90 and normally you shoot 80 how are you going to deal with that well hopefully you learn from it you're motivated you go i want to get better at this or i still enjoyed the tournament even though i didn't play well wow i still want to go out there and do it so it's intrinsic motivations is a lot about curiosity it's about purpose it's about passion um and a lot of golfers that of course we work with are very passionate um and i want them to just tap into why they play golf um so that's how i Mm. use the intrinsic
1: motivator sure sure Okay. So next question is from Robert. Uh, What three or four qualities do you consistently see from high performers? And, and, you know, you could pick just Colin or just high performers in general, you know, kind of theme thematic qualities that you tend to see with those high performers.
0: Yeah. So this is with Colin and some of my other players certainly is it starts with curiosity. It starts with learning. They always want to learn and they know there's more to learn. And that doesn't, they're not putting themselves down like, oh my gosh, I'm not good at that. They're going, wow, I can't wait to get better at my wedge play. I can't wait to start flighting my irons here. I can't wait to learn how to hit off tight Bermuda, right? Curiosity and learning is at the cornerstone of this, okay? We just mentioned motivation, which is why are you doing it? And I think if we have a strong motivational formula, uh, we have the ups and downs we can, which we're all going to have in golf, by the way. Is that that helps us bounce back? It helps us with mental toughness. So a good strong motivation. Um, I think the skill of focus um is is not only in the moment, like okay on the shot, but I've had some college players who are very talented, yet it was hard for them sometimes to focus in a tournament because they're still thinking of the midterms they have and they're thinking about, oh my gosh, I need to get ranking points or whatever. And they just have a hard time just paying attention to the present moment. So being focused on what's in your control, I think is, is, is extremely important. And then the last one I would put in is that they just haven't just a very solid belief system. They believe they're damn good. Okay. And whether they just shot 85 the day before they go, no, nope, I'm better than that. I can do better. And there's this, 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 I call it sturdy confidence about them that they believe they're a good player.
1: Yeah. And they, uh, uh, the term that's, misused probably more often than not is they have an optimism optimistic outlook on things and they they explain things optimistically and and that comes from a source of that motivation of um why i'm doing things and and if and then there's growth and fixed mindset i mean there's there's a bunch of factors but i love the three or four you just mentioned um if you had to boil them down but uh those are good um, yeah, and the, um, I'm yeah. sorry, the optimism
0: no. one is a very good one. that has been, it's been researched, um, for peak performers. And I think it is the motivation, but it's also, yeah. The understanding that confidence, like I can bring that, I can, I can do that. I can, you know, and, and that, in and that mixture, I don't want people to think optimism is about being delusional. Um, I've had plenty of junior golfers who are delusional. Um, and it's a false confidence. It's a false, like, yeah, I'm going to just like you haven't broken 80 in your life and you're telling me you're going to win this AJGA tournament or whatever, you know? So we do as coaches have to keep people in check to keep them motivated, help them with their optimism, but there is a reality of where their skills are at too.
1: Yeah. And, and on that, how do you, how do you balance as a coach talking to a player and maybe for the players listening, how can they balance the own their own conversation of being realistic while also staying motivated, you know, on that, on your example of, I haven't broken 80 ever, but I also want to win this AJG event. I, that's a real goal of mine. How do you balance the, the realism or like I want to play at Alabama, but also I'm not even the best player on my high school team. How can you, sure. like what can a player do in that moment to kind of shape their goal setting?
0: Well, exactly. And you just use the word, right? Yeah. Goals, goal setting, I think can be broken down into, I'm going to go three basics right now. Okay. We have outcome goals, which I think are very, very important. I am a type of coach who will never tell you outcomes are not important. There are other coaches say it's only about the process. The only way you have the process is to know what it's linked to, which is an outcome goal. So let's be open that get excited about outcome goals. Those outcome goals can be five years away, even more, by the way, they can be broken down a year, quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily, and on the shot. So I think having clear goals is is super important. I then follow that up with the performance goals that would be required to do that. Hey, I want to get a full ride to Alabama. Okay, let's see what those uh, players are currently shooting. Let's say, I'm just going to throw it out, 70, okay? You're currently at 74. Where are we going to get those four shots from, right? And I get, I quantify it. Hey, we're four shots away from your your tournament scoring averages here. We need to get it to here. Where do we need to get better at? (sighs) I don't know, Rick. Well, then we can look at strokes gain data. We can look at proximity to the whole data. We can we can look at the mechanical stuff first. Because I think, you know, if somebody has two, three putts per round, we could go, I think we have some low-hanging fruit here that we can work on, right? So be honest with where you're at with your skill set now. And then there might be some intangibles of mental game and how many, um, what's your percentage of shots you're committed to? Is your practice rounds? Um, are we getting the best information for strategy of that? Those are a little maybe more challenging to quantify, but I think they're good questions to ask for people to go, yeah, you're right. I do feel unprepared when I go to a tournament. Hmm. Okay. I'm making the wrong decisions. Now that goes in the mental game bucket. Right. And then the last part now is a process goal. How am I actually going to get better at all those performance goals? Okay. And now we talk about, even if we said putting again, and we know that somebody's three putting uh, far too often. Is that a speed issue, a read issue, um, uh, club face at impact? Is that a mindset issue? What drills are going to help me with speed control? Yeah. And we narrow it down to what do I need to do today? So that's my question. That's my answer Mm -hmm. on how do we take those goals and break them down?
1: Yeah. And it, I mean, it, as you can, as you say it, something a lot of players don't do, they don't, it's like my irons, and it's super broad. And like, oh my goodness, there's 18 different things within that, that, you know, nine of them might be pretty good for you, but the other nine you need to work on or whatever. Right. So it, there's a lot more detail than most people. Oh, definitely. Attribute and, it
0: and, and along those lines, because this might be a, another question you're going to be asked is like, you know, when we practice, so for instance, like, I believe the average proximity of the hole for a PGA tour player from hundred yards is like 14 feet, 10 inches. Right. And so I can put somebody who, who thinks they're tour level and go, great, let's just do a little 10 balls right here, fairway, let's see, and measure them all, right? That I think helps people with the, um, the I call it the reality check, okay? And it's not to beat up on people. It's like the only way you're going to get better is to realize where those opportunities are arise. So I can use stats of PGA Tour or top college players or top junior players and say, hey, let's do a little combine. Let's do a little, uh, a little practice to see where we're at. And then we'll measure it a month from now and two months from now. I think that motivates people too, cause they have a plan and we have these metrics that we can look at.
1: Good. Along those lines, we're talking about metrics and stuff. How do you, do you have a system or something for measuring mental progress? I mean, it's easy to track your golf you know, physical scoring average change, but do you have a way of measuring mental progress?
0: Yeah, it's something I'm always working on, to be honest with you. But I, I do some very, very basic post-round assessment forms. Um, I think self-awareness is a is a skill. And um, it's actually self-awareness is probably the first thing that need people need to, to learn. Um, but if I put in, you know, two or three basic worksheets, literally it would take five minutes for somebody to fill out. And we're looking at one to 10 scales on focus and confidence. And um, what was the percentage of shots you were committed to? Did you do a post-shot routine when you got emotional, right? You know, it may not be super accurate because the player is putting it down, but I think they're at least starting to think about it. They become more aware of it. And then guess what? The next time they do it, they go, oh, that's right. Coach Rick is going to ask me about this. Uh, I guess I should. So it's basic at first. um, And there's other metrics. I don't want to get too much into, which is more in-person stuff. I, I use EEGs. I use uh, heart rate monitors and stuff like that. That can be looked upon different ways.
1: Mm. I, I want to get into it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that, that stuff is interesting. We've, we've had some conversations on the podcast recently kind of about that stuff, but back to the awareness piece. Another thing that has been a topic on of past guests on the podcast, how do you, you know, you're you're mentioning self assessments, that kind of thing, self reviews. I mean, is there some kind of exercises you would encourage players to um, improve their awareness? I mean, if if awareness is the first skill, sure. how how can yeah. you practice that skill?
0: Yeah, I mean, self awareness. I think in in the day and age of the last five, 10 years, is mindfulness. Right, mindfulness has become a a catchphrase for a lot of things, and and we can some people call it meditation, but Mindfulness is again being uh, aware of the present moment in a non judgmental way, and we can train it. So, if I sit down and say this morning, which I did five minutes of mindfulness with an EEG set on me, is to say, okay, I could be intentional with it, like I want to just focus on breath, or I can be focusing on sensations or in my body, right? And then I can go from my hand to my neck to my breath, and I'm shifting awarenesses that could be in a fixed environment at home. Awesome. I go on the golf course, I can use those same self-awareness questions or um, cues to say, oh, where am I feeling the wind right now on my face? Right. That's present moment, awareness, boom. So I think mindfulness, we have plenty of apps out there certainly uh, can be a way to pay attention to the present moment in a non-judgmental way. Don't beat yourself up out there just because your mind's racing. Um, and then bring it back slowly to your intention of what you want. You'll find that that's going to be useful when you get on the golf course is basic questions. Again, am I ready to hit this shot? It's a yes or no. Okay. If it's a yes, great go time. If it's a no, why am I not ready to hit the shot? Is it uh, clarity of uh, decision? It's a, so that's how I would kind of start with it.
1: Yeah. And you, and you mentioned the you know where do i feel the wind on my face that's that's similar to the what is this lie going to do to this shot it's a non-judgmental exactly. self-awareness phrase um yeah so to anyone listening find ways to dr- bring attention back to you and I, that's just if you can do that as much as you can journaling i think is another way to do it definitely uh, just any kind of that and that's that self-assessment you're kind of talking about um okay another question uh, this one from Jeremy he says insights on peaking at the right time mentally. So back to Colin, I mean, he's had two major championship wins. Is there, is there anything to like Tiger used to talk about? He, he wanted everything to peak at the right time, four times a year. How do you kind of think about that kind of thing?
0: I look at it a little different than Tiger and Tiger's the greatest to play of all time. So um, my spin on that is Tiger won more than just majors, right? So I would argue that he was peaking every week, but that's just my assessment on that, right? Colin and I um, have always assessed his preparation, right? Junior golf, college golf, professional golf is different preparation just because environment. Okay, we learned probably in the first two to three months uh, how to prepare better on the PGA Tour. Uh, I think we were doing too much work during a uh, before the Thursday round would uh, occur. Uh, we want to manage energy. Uh, we want to manage focus. Uh, we want to be prepared with a strategy, uh, so on and so forth. But I'm I'm going to answer it in a slightly different way. Is my belief, okay? I okay. So quick little sidebar. So when when you get a golf instruct a golf lesson from your instructor, does he or she show you a grip that you just use in practice, and then here's your extra special grip that you only use in tournaments? Of course not. That's ridiculous to say that. Yet in the mental game, I have so many people say, yeah, 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 Rick, this practice round, I'm really not going to go through my full pre shot routine because it doesn't matter, but man, in this tournament, I'm going to get super intense and super, I go, give me a break, okay? You're going to break down because you haven't, it hasn't been a habit yet, okay? So my mantra is every time you put a club in your hand as an opportunity to play great golf, let's do the same things that get me ready. So, Colin is competing even in his practice round sometimes against his caddy. Okay. There's ways to get that juice, get that focus going. So, then when he's putting to win the open championship, it's just another shot that he wants to be great at. So, um, my belief is that if I'm going to go play golf, I want to play great golf. Why just sugarcoat it? Well, that's really not important. So, I'm going to just ha- do it at half ass. And, but here I'm going to really, I don't think it works that way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't understand why anyone would, well, this round, I don't care to play good. Well, why are you playing? Like, don't you want to play your best every time? Correct. Okay. Um, so a question about uh, pressure. Uh, Dustin asked, how to make more putts under pressure like pros?
0: Well, I would ask Dustin, is is pressure good or bad? That was my first question. He's framing it potentially as a bad thing, as a as an interference. OK, you ask Colin if he believes pressure is going to enhance his performance, he would say yes with an exclamation mark. OK, pressure for him signals it's important, which means signals I'm going to do the things necessary to be in the present moment, ask the right questions, uh, manage my state. That is his signal that this is go time. This is awesome. This is what I signed up for. Now, there may be other golfers out there listening that pressure is looked upon as something is fear to be feared. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna embarrass myself. This is so important. If I don't make this, then I make a bogey and then my ranking points and blah, 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 blah. So the association that you have with pressure is the first part, okay? Now, we're gonna go back to that flow follows focus. And if pressure now has put you in the future, it is in essence taking you out of the present moment. So we get back to pre-shot routine, we get back to questions. Hey, what is this putt? Not what is it worth. What is this putt? Is it uphill or downhill? How far is it? Is it right to left or le- uh, uh, left to right? Um, what's the speed I'm going to intend to hit this at? Where's it going to enter? Where's my apex? Where- well, these questions are now present based. And then it would be self talk. What are you saying to yourself before you hit the shot? Okay maybe I will make this pot, or I've made thousands of these before, or I can't wait to have a smooth stroke on this. Your self-talk is going to affect your emotional state too. But I, I, I'm going to encourage back to the first thing is reframe what pressure means to you. Okay. A lot of people think pressure means there's a chance of failing. Good fail. Collins failed many Mm -hmm. a times and he always gets better after the fact. But people fear the failure so much they don't allow themselves to go for it and and embrace that this is what I signed up for okay so that's my I could go on a diatribe on this, but um that's my answer on that <laughs> i i
1: i that's that's something I've recently learned about too is um people people see failure as bad duh i mean we all we all uh, Almost all of us, by default, see failure as bad, but if you if you can see it instead as um, an opportunity to get better, and also, you're going to fail. It's like, uh, it's table stakes. You will fail. I mean, there's, there's 120 guys that fail every week uh, on the PGA Tour, so it's like, failure is going to happen, so it's inherent in the thing you're Correct. signing up for, so... That's what makes the accomplishment so great. If you couldn't fail, it wouldn't be a great accomplishment. So that's yeah. the reframing of the exactly. failure. Yeah. And,
0: and, and right. that's the thing yeah. is that, you know, I may use the word feedback instead of failure because I know people have such a negative connotation with the word failure. The feedback, I just hit it into the trees. The feedback is that did not match my intention. I wonder why is a lot different than, oh my God, I hit in the trees. That's the worst swing I've ever made. You suck, Rick. I can't believe it. That's bad that's judgment, that's critical. But if I have a feedback loop of, I wonder why that went there, I might have a better opportunity next time to do something different, whether it's a different behavior, whether it's, you know, and that's the feedback loop that I think Colin has done uh, very, very well is he's failed on the PGA tour. He's missed a short putt uh, in a playoff against Daniel Berger. Month later, he's beaten JT in a playoff, you know, and says his putting was never better at that point. So, that's where I would want people to, again, view it as feedback and then keep growing from that that spot. Mm,
1: yeah. Okay, so this one from Jeff. Uh, what single words describe Colin's mental mantra? Does Colin have anything like a, a phrase he might say pre-shot or pre-tournament, anything like that? No.
0: I don't think it's a mantra. I think, um, you know, I believe the mental game is about uh, – uh, managing states, what state you're in mentally, emotionally, physically. And uh, I think things that have worked for him certainly is uh, when he's in a creative state, when he's in a calm state, when he's in a focused state, those are some words he may use now within a pre-shot routine is, and he's mentioned this um, uh, in the media is like, you know, when he's, he visualizes a shot with a lot of clarity, when he talks to his caddy with very clear lang- clear language, this is what I'm going to do. This is where it's going to start. This is where- that clarity helps him, uh, commit to a golf shot. Right. So it's, I don't know if I, I don't think he has a mantra per se. Um, we have a state that he wants to be in and we know that there's processes, um, that would help get him. And we also understand the interferences that get involved and do we have strategies for that also?
1: Good. Okay. So this one is about kind of core strategy. Um, do you have any thoughts of like, like, are there green light pins or or does the strategy kind of constantly change throughout the the round based on where you are? What are your thoughts on strategy? That's a big question. Yeah,
0: but. yeah. This is this is uh, probably opposite of what some people think. So I, I believe you have to understand your dispersion rates. Okay, um, so that's why TrackMan and some of these things are, are very useful. Is that if we put somebody and we understood your proximity to the hole, we know kind of miss rates. And okay, as a right hander, I know I'm going to miss short right and long left and I think that is important. Um, where I may be different than other course management people is that I believe if I'm in a state of flow, I'm going for those flags, okay? If all hell's breaking loose and I can't control my state, my dispersion is going to be a lot greater. I am middle of green almost all day, and I'm generalizing this, everybody out there. I know it's not all middle of green. Um, but when Colin is feeling it, there is a, a lot of... Um, We'll call it aggressive but um he's going for the flags um and that may be again diff, different than some other systems out there which i do respect um because i think great creates a great framework for people but because performance is state dependent you need to be aware of where you're at that time and i think that's going to affect your dispersion rate
1: mm. yeah i mean it it still comes down to dispersion rate right? it's just when are they when are your dispersions tighter or looser right, Correct. right. exactly and you have to have that self-awareness right so I, that's and that's what i was going to ask is You know, there's a, there's a, it's, there's probably science to this is as soon as you recognize that you are in flow, you're by definition out of it, possibly. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but, um, does he have some kind of like, okay, I can tell I'm in it right now. I'm going to start aiming. Or is it just like, I, I know this feeling like he's so good. He's been playing for so long. He knows his game. I mean, does he like know when to start aiming for flags?
0: Yeah, I think it's it, it's subconscious to a point. I mean, I, I use the word feeling. Feeling's different than thinking. So he's feeling himself around a, a, around a round of golf, I think is important. Um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit is that I think situational stuff is important. Um, we'll use Colin as an example again. If he is, he just uh, played at the Genesis and, um, recently and he wanted to win, even though he was eight shots back with the last round of play. Does his strategy change? Uh, yes, it does. He doesn't want to be 40th place. It doesn't matter that he makes a couple bogeys. That's irrelevant. It's, I need to win. Guess what? Strategy changed. A little more aggressive. Yeah, you saw it. We almost caught him. Pretty damn good round of golf. Okay. So again, I think um, a lot of strategy is situational specific. Uh, how you're feeling, what you want. What's the goal? His goal is to win. How am I going to win? I'm going to make some more birdies. I may go a little bit off script on what Thursday and Friday were because this is all I got left. Okay. So that's where I look at it uh, again, a little bit different.
1: And and there's another question. It's not coming to me right here, but, um, it was roughly like, let's say he just doesn't have it on Thursday, Friday to, to take you back to what you just said. And it's like, I, my, like my game this time is might not even make the cut. And he's made a ton of cuts, but, um, when it's, when that is the situation, does he go into some kind of experimental mode? Does he go into, well, let's just have fun. Like, let's just try to enjoy it. Or does he go into like, okay, I need to make as many birdies as possible. Do, do you have a sense of that? Yeah.
0: There's, oh yeah, there's still an outcome goal. Um, wants to make the cut, I mean, but that's never his goal, by the way, at the start of the week, it's to win of course, um, the goal of making a cut is irrelevant. Um, for him, uh, other players I work with. Yes, that's important. Um, but uh, I think in the moment, let's say it's a, a Thursday afternoon, he's played the front nine, it's a little one or two over, he's not, there may be strategy changes of, um, let's go to plan B, let's hit some three-quarter three quarter hold off fades because I know I can fade it, um, or I'm going to hit a more faded driver to minimize my shot that is missing left right now. Yeah, change strategy. Change And that may not be you're going to make birdies, but you're going to minimize the damage that's been caused. And then after Thursday, you figure it out and go, okay, I'm going to make the adjustments and go from there. So it's always moving forward. Uh, But I I don't know if I would use the word experiment with him. Uh, We have plan B's that are going to go into play um, as far as a go-to shot or something like that. And I know not all the listeners have a go-to they're, they're lucky if they have one shot to go to. Uh, so, um, but, but that's part of, uh, you change strategies, maybe more conservative. You do go to something that you know, uh, or get closer to that certainty, like, Hey, I'm going to do blank, which I can least, uh, play for is kind of where he would
1: go. Mm. Okay. This one from Griffin, uh, What was helpful in maintaining confidence even when Colin wasn't seeing the results he wanted? And I don't know, I don't know Colin's history that well to, but I'm certain he went through stretches where he wasn't seeing results he wanted. I mean, as good as he is, um, is there something maybe we could all take away from that maintaining confidence through those stretches?
0: You guys are not going to like my answer on this. Um, he's never lacked confidence. Okay. Um, he's been the most consistent golfer I have ever seen and been around, uh, in college. Uh, he, I believe played in 55 events and he was in the top five, 50% of the time. Uh, you saw when he came on the tour, he made his first 22 cuts in a row. He shows up. Okay. Is there times where he's not happy about maybe he missed a cut at the U S open in, in 2020? Of course but the conversation now goes to what did we learn? What can we improve upon? If you have that conversation every week, you won't get down in the dumps. Okay. You're going to go, Oh, or, or, or the favorite thing that I love talking about is people saying, well, Colin's not a very good putter. I go, that's interesting. He's won six times worldwide in two majors. I don't think you can be a bad putter. He's a streaky putter and we're going to be even a better putter and we're going to learn. And he's going to figure out. So it's how you frame everything. thing. Um, but people get, back to the failures, like, oh my gosh, I didn't, and all oh my, this is, and they catastrophize everything so much instead of saying, Hey, what happened? And let's learn from it and move on. So, um, he's never had a lack of confidence. Um, he could be frustrated. Okay. That's different than having a uh, doubt. Um, but that's how we kind of work with it.
1: Mm. Okay. Uh, this question from Hart: does other players bad play affect how Colin is doing and assuming if not how or if it does, how? Why? No.
0: He's been in so many situations now that I'm. I'm going to simply ask that it doesn't bother him at all. Um, I don't think pace of play bothers him. I don't. He's very, very good at not letting external factors uh, affect his internal state. So I'll just keep it at
1: that. How? How is he good at that? I mean, we we want. We all want. He's that. only. Fo- he's
0: only focused on what's in his control, which mm-hmm. is this shot. He wants to hit it to two feet right now. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter who he's playing. Doesn't matter that this guy is, you know, slow play and we're put on the clock. It's irrelevant to the next thirty seconds. That's his one of his superpowers.
1: Mm. A, a superpower he developed, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Uh, kind of you mentioned the putting um, and how it's viewed as a weakness of his, and and not true, but how how does he or how do you guys work on it? Is he affected by the judgment of others? I'm assuming he's not right. Um, yeah. No, he, he,
0: his, his standard for himself is far greater than anybody in the media or anybody else. So we don't really, we don't really care about it. Okay. Sure. But he's going to be very hard on himself if he has a week um, that I'm trying to think of something recent, but uh, he played it over in Abu Dhabi and maybe he didn't play well, right? 65th place or whatever like that. It's we're on a phone call that Monday talking about what happened and then, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to adjust this a little bit with my line and I'm going to work on some speed stuff with my caddy, stuff like that. There's always now moving towards a solution. I'm not saying we have the solution immediately, um, but when you have that feedback loop, there's been five or six times he's been top five in putting. He was just then in, in Genesis. I think he was top 10. I don't want to exaggerate, but he was just top 10 in putting in, in Genesis. His short game was number one for I mean, it's like, so it's there. Now, as you know, is that you have to play in all these different conditions Then you play in Bermuda and then you play here. So we're still learning how to adapt. And so, so like that, and he is just a, a sponge that he wants to keep learning from that. So I'm, you know, I, we classify it as he's a clutch putter. Huh. He makes some. Pretty damn good putts when it matters, doesn't he? Yes. Um, so his focus becomes extremely good and he just gets target oriented and then he trusts himself and then boom, there you go.
1: Mm. I, I like this question um, and, and maybe we'll end the listener questions on this, this, this barrage of listener questions. Uh, <laughs> what, what feeling does Colin get when he grabs this player says his eight iron, which I think Colin has said is his favorite club or favorite something club. does what, what feeling goes through Colin's mind do you have any sense of that
0: well I mean we can say confidence uh, so there's a certainty right there's mm. uh and I think there's a excitement might be too strong of a word to use a word I would use right he can't wait to hit this ball close he just can't wait to do it and he can't wait to create a shot and he can't So I, 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 whether we call that anticipation, excitement or whatever, he can't wait to hit the shot is a lot different than most people out there who are fearing the shot and going, oh crap, I'm not sure where this is going to go. So yeah, there's certainty, there's excitement, there's, but it's back to the present moment. He just wants to execute a great shot. He wants to be creative and and such.
1: Yeah. And that goes back to that mastery. He wants to, he wants to live up to his own standards of his own ability and, and he's not. Yeah. He, he's not down on the level that we, most of us are living. He's right.
0: Right. But, but on the standards, I, I want to make it clear. There's a standard of outcome. Yes. He, he wants to hit his eight iron to whatever the proximity of the hole is. Let's say it's uh 19 feet, right? He wants to hit it inside that. Right. But there's a standard of behavior that I want everybody to be clear on. If we're talking mental game, his standard is to commit to shots. His standard is to uh, be composed uh, after a poor shot. His standard is to refocus. Those are behavior standards that all the listeners out there can do. You may not be able to hit your eight iron as close as he can. You certainly can focus the same way. You certainly can have a plan. That's what I'm stressing when I'm a, a coach.
1: Hmm. That's awesome. Uh, okay. What are you, or what would you recommend players? read like a book any any that's a that's a weird question to ask maybe but uh is there anything you could recommend players kind of a resource
0: well can i be self-serving i mean absolutely um, so so i wrote my book golf the ultimate mind game about 15 years ago um it's a i i i'm proud of it i think it's an intermediate book on the mental game. I really do. Okay. There's, you're not going to see anything earth shattering in there, but I think it's a good starting point. Obviously what I'm doing with flowcode.golf, I think there's some cool stuff there. I'm going to go off the beaten path here and and share a book that may has made a lot of difference in my life. Okay. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Joe Dispenza. He wrote a book called breaking the habit of being yourself. And it was an interesting way of shifting behaviors and thoughts and, and emotions and that kind of stuff certainly that leads to an outcome, but, um, it came to my, in my life at a time where I was fascinated with how do you make change in people? And so that was my favorite book. Okay. So throw that at you.
1: Some good recommendations. I'll, I'll put that on my list. Okay. Um, you mentioned flow code. Um, is there any, anywhere else people can follow you? Anything else you'd like to promote?
0: Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, my, uh, what I'm excited about is, uh, the flow code golf Academy again, flowcode.golf. Um, you can reach me or you can look at me on social media. I don't do a ton, but, um, uh, Instagram, uh, Rick Sessinghouse, Facebook, Rick Sessinghouse, LinkedIn, Rick Sessinghouse. Um, you know, I, I'll share, um, content that I shoot Collins golf swing a lot. I'll, some some videos that i've done so people like the instagram content because it's sometimes it's very swing related which people are obsessed with um but uh, yeah so a little social media the website um that would be great
1: gotcha and as a as a closing a closing thought when when the listeners or us or you are watching golf what should we be watching for
0: Well, I'm looking – and that's a great question because I had a bunch of my students go – I live here in Los Angeles to the Genesis, which just happened, and I asked the same question. What are you observing when you see the best players in the world? And I'm looking at reactions, right? Um, Yeah, they're going to hit good shots, bad shots. Um, So I look at reactions. I look at the state they're in before they hit a shot. I also look at – and I'm, and I'm making an assumption on the next one. Why are they choosing the shots they're sh- choosing, especially around the, the short game area? I get fascinated with, huh, that guy opened the face up and put the ball forward. Wow, I wouldn't have looked at it that way. Um, to me, that's really cool. Okay, I don't necessarily look at their golf swing technical stuff, um, but I am looking at reactions, I think, most, most of the time.
1: Mm, that's good. All right. Well... Dr. Rick Sessinghouse, thank you so much. I know you don't go by that, but you are Dr. Rick Sessinghouse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much. This has been an honor for me. This is this is insightful, for sure.
0: My, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me
1: on. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Rick Sessinghouse. Uh, I, I know I did. I thought it was just, I mean, he's quick, he's fast, he has... Uh, seems like he has an answer for everything, uh, you can tell how, uh, learned and, you know, smart he is from what, uh, his decades of experience now, not just with Colin, but with all of his, um, you know, like he mentioned getting, um, you know, certifications and different things, learning, always learning, lifelong learner. That's what I'm discovering is a great attribute of good coaches, good psychologists, good, um, you know, just smart people, successful, high achieving people is lifelong learning, curiosity, all of that. Um, So I just loved this interview. It's just more inspiration for me. And I hope it was that for you. I hope you got that either that one nugget or just you're continuing to pile on these, you know, confirmations of this is the right path that I'm going down. I, I know that I'm working on the right things. I know it won't take I know it won't be immediate. I know it's not overnight. No, there's no overnight success, but I know I can confirm that I am learning the right things and heading down the right path. That's all we're trying to do here. Just as my mentor, Robert Linville says, slow improvement is still improvement. So I hope, I hope this is another version of that for you. And I've got all the uh, links and stuff that we mentioned throughout the episode um, down in the show notes. So check out you know what, Doctor Rick has going on. Uh, he's he's got a lot of good stuff going on, and, and clearly he's a highly accomplished guy. So if he's doing it, it's probably worth looking into. And something I like to mention uh, at the end of these episodes is, Doctor Rick and I are not. Um, while we might offer good advice and uh, things to help you, we aren't your therapist, psychologist, whatever. This isn't meant. I feel a responsibility to to mention that this is not meant to like help you get through difficult times. Get um, this is just golf. It's just it's just the mental golf show. Take what you hear uh, with you know grains of salt. It's not directly applied to you, but if you would like it to be, you can work with someone like Dr. Rick or myself or Dr. Pryor or Dr. Parent or Lou Stagner. Any you know Brett McCabe from a, a Dr Dr Brett McCabe from a, a long time ago uh, Jared Tindler there's I've worked with I've talked with so many uh, people that you can actually work with so I encourage you to uh work one on one with a mental coach psychologist um whatever you would like to call it uh, invest that time energy money you know, frankly into your golf game it's something that you spend a lot of time doing so Invest that back into it. You know, you you get out what you put in. Um, you can't get out good things if you don't put in good things. Um, yeah, a, a friend recently was talking about getting a club fitting or getting new golf clubs, and I said, "Well, you should get a club fitter. You know, you get a realtor to buy a house. You should get a club fitter to get new golf clubs." I think the same thing applies to if you want to get better at golf, you should invest in something that will help you do that don't just self-diagnose self-diagnosis is a is a long lonely difficult path golf is long and difficult uh, enough as it is so invest in someone to help you uh and if you'd like info on that from me directly you can you can email me i can i can direct you to someone else or you can work directly with me uh you can email me at uh foundationsgolf@gmail.com. Um, or I'll have links to communicate with Dr. Rick, uh, specifically on this episode. So work with someone. I highly encourage you to do that. And as always, thank you so much for listening to these episodes. It always means a lot to, to see how many people listen to these. It's, it's very encouraging to me. So I'm just going to keep on going. So this has been the mental golf show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I will catch you guys in the next one.